Are we done podcasting, by the way? Was that it? Look, you took a huge dump on the podcast, and <laughs> yeah. you're going to say, hey, are we it's, done here? Unless you want to shoot down any more of my ideas or <laughs> topics, I feel like we're done. So. I didn't shoot it down. I just said Connor. I'm not a fan of the movie. What, do you want no, me no, to be no. inauthentic? You didn't, say, you didn't say I'm not yeah, a fan. Yeah. You said that was the dumbest movie of 2015. <laughs> yeah. The, if and this then podcast... you went on a monologue <laughs> to explain how dumb the movie is, disregarding the point I made from it. And yeah, thus, you can dump on the whole podcast. Yeah. Fair enough. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Just to give you a little taste of this, I'll just kind of dive into the story here. Sure. And, uh, and we'll, see, we'll see where it goes. I didn't, do you have a topic, Rob? Um, I have, I do have one, but we don't, it's nothing, uh, super pressing. Okay. Cause this story, I don't, I don't plan on this story going anywhere. Okay, sure. It's just sure. a ridiculous story yep. that happened. So yeah, we'll probably be able to use your topic anyways. But, uh, so I talked to a lady who runs all of our RCIA classes on like Wednesday evening, totally in Spanish. She's like 80 and looks like like a Navajo Indian, like the fiercest lady, dude. And what I hear is, hey, Mike, would you like to come in and visit my RCIA class on <laughs> Saturday evenings? And you can sit in and we can like hang out and chit chat and you can kind of participate with our group. I said, totally, sure. <laughs> what time does it start from nine to 10? I'm like, oh, of course, it's kind of late, but I'll definitely like to pop in and just say, hey. So... Saturday Definitely evening. I know where this one's going, by the way. <laughs> 9 Saturday. to 10 on a Saturday is really late. Yeah, it is really late. So Saturday evening, Mass is in. There's a 5 gringo. There's a 6.30 Spanish. And the 6.30 Spanish ends at like, you know, whatever, 7.45, 8, somewhere around there. And we greet everybody outside the, the church, which takes a while. And so then I'm like divesting and I take off my surplus. I'm still like in my cassock because I was going to go and pray for a little bit. And I see the lady, she's like waiting for me. And I'm like, what? I thought this thing started at nine. And she goes, no, no, no. So she brings me into the classroom and there's like 50 or 60 people <laughs> that are in there. And I'm like, all right, dude, this is good. all right, whatever. I'll just pray later. Not a problem. And so I just come into the classroom and she kind of leads me up to the front, and she's like, okay, this guy, Ivan, is going to lead the prayer today. This is all in Spanish, by the way, and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> like, I can speak Baxter, Spanish. you know I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I can speak Spanish decently, at best. Side I, I, note, I mean, real quick, I at the Spanish Mass here last Saturday morning, uh, I gave, and I don't speak any Spanish, but they had me do the uh, the second reading. In Spanish, oh, so it was just one of those situations. Like they really wanted me to do it, so it was like, "Sweet, sweet Lord, baby Jesus, speak, <laughs> speak through me." So continue anyway. Yeah, that's probably exactly how I felt as yeah. well. So I can I can speak Spanish enough to, um, like, definitely have a conversation, but I'm far from fluent. 
And so it's helpful when people speak slowly and my vocabulary, I can talk about a lot of different things, but only for a little bit. Like I, I don't have <laughs> the ability to speak, you know, on like a prolonged topic for a while. Mm-hmm. So Ivan gets up and says this prayer. The um, Navajo Indian leader, who seriously, she's like a super fierce 80-year-old lady. And I could tell she's, she's actually very, very holy. But she leads me up. And then we start praying. And as we're praying, I'm like, hmm, this seems a little bit weird. Why the am lady's, I standing in front? Why am I standing in front? Why is this lady <laughs> leaving in the middle of this prayer? Oh, like, gosh, wait a second. Dude. What it? What's happening here? Then Ivan <laughs> finishes the prayer, and no joke, everybody sits down, and I'm just standing there, and <laughs> like 50 or 60 Hispanic people are just looking at me, like, "All right, let's do it, baby. <laughs> We're ready to learn." Holy smokes, dude! <laughs> I, dude, I have nothing. I have no anything. <laughs> I, I'm holding my surplus in my hand, and I'm just standing in front of all these Spanish speakers and I'm like, <laughs> holy crap. She wants me to teach this class. That's what she has going on. And it's an hour long. This is a two hour class from eight to 10, dude. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm seriously standing there in shock. Like I have <laughs> no clue. And so then I just tell everyone to like whip out their Bibles and I run back. I don't even have a Bible. So I say, open to John chapter four and like just start reading. So I pick on someone to start reading. And they're all reading in Spanish. And I have to go back and get all these materials. And and I ended up just like, I mean, it ended up being actually an incredible experience. Because the topic was following Jesus. But uh, I had to try and teach to them for like 20 minutes or so in Spanish. And then I stopped and I was like, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Would anyone like to participate, a.k.a. start talking? (laughs) I said, okay, how many of you can also speak English? (laughs) And like, I would say three quarters to four fifths of them raised their hand. And I thought to myself, okay, (laughs) screw it. I'm just going to go for the English. And like, if you need help, I'm going to repeat things in Spanish, but like have your buddies translate. And it ended up being really good. Like, it's a simple topic, following Jesus. But what I realized was they don't know. Like, they're coming into the church. And so you could talk to them literally about whatever, and they've never heard of it before. Right. And so we just went through the woman at the well and, like, following Jesus interiorly, but also him leading you exteriorly. So I kind of told my vocation story, slash answered questions, slash did the scripture study. All, like... In Spanish and English, dude, they I had to run and get a Bible. I didn't even have a Bible with me, man. And it ended up being this incredible, incredible experience of just like really trusting in God. Um, it was honestly very healing, but then they're they're incredibly joyful people as well. Mm-hmm. So it was uh it was a lot of fun, but dang dude, I pooped. <laughs> I seriously pooped myself. It was <laughs> I'm sure that stuff happens to you all the time, Father, of like, hey, you're doing this and you had no Yeah, you kind of get used to it after a while and you have some stuff in yeah. the bag. Um, and my Spanish is a little better now, but I've ha- I had those experiences at that stage, you know, where that was how I got roped into being Jesus in the Via Crucis. 
<laughs> they were like my Spanish was not great, and they were uh, the pastor <laughs> just kind of after mass one Saturday or something like that. I think it was a Saturday evening, just like you. I'm Wait, standing back there greeting people, big? and there's some people there like holding a cross and just a big group of of people, and they're clearly doing something and. I was talking to them, and they're speaking to Spanish, Spanish to me, and I'm kind of like, uh-huh, si, okay, muy, me gusta. Um, and the pastor just kind of bails, and he's like, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you join these people? And we go down into the basement, and somehow, by the end of that night, I was going to be crucified by them on Palm Sunday. <laughs> and it ended up being the huge grace of my time there, and I'm, yeah. I'm going to do the same exact thing with... Uh, the youth group we just had our first practice so you know those experiences that you never would have chosen for yourself but you just kind of get put in them and you you're too confused and incompetent to realize what's happening oh, totally <laughs> i was seriously like while they're reading i'm asking a girl who's younger like hey what is how long does this thing go till like what are <laughs> what's the structure of this class and she's eight to ten and i'm like eight to ten oh <laughs> <laughs> not what i wanted to hear but they did have they had like a meal halfway through and uh, then they gave presents at the end so they like do a gift giving thing to each other in the class so it was i mean yeah it was totally a grace that only god could put me there and that navajo indian lady could put me there and uh she knew exactly what she was doing too mm -hmm. and i realized <laughs> later cuz she came back at like 9:15 9:30 and I told her, like, I have nothing else. Like, I don't know what you you need to help me. And she goes, oh, you don't have anything? Okay, no problem. And she just gets up and, like, balls out for 30 minutes and just totally crushes it. Like, what? Well, this is why this lady, she's amazing. And that's why she just thinks people can do this. So it was a, it was a trust God moment. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Actually, we can use that to springboard maybe into the topic that I had today. Uh, but have you guys seen the movie The Martian with Matt Damon? Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw it. <clears throat> Dude, I, I watched it Friday night, and I loved that movie. I mean, I loved it. Um, I didn't know what to expect. But I actually started crying at the end of this movie, which very rarely happens in movies. But the scene... Um, spoiler alert the scene where they they get him so he does like the iron man thing from the ship and they get him and then they like radio back to nasa that they got him and then it flashes to all like all of these different countries or whatever that are watching this screen and cheering for this guy um and they just radio back you know we got him and it was just such like I don't know, it was just so moving for me. It reminded me of just like the communion of saints and like the rejoicing in heaven after this like daring mission to save this one person, a whole world, uh, you know, like different cultures and uh, peoples united, like just to save this one guy's life. And I, I just started crying, man. And it was so, it was so good. But what was so good about that movie in a way, um, and this is loose, but I was just thinking of it when you were talking, Mike, of like they 
kind of even NASA or whoever in the movie kind of had no idea what they were doing throughout the whole movie. It was just like, we have to save this one guy. And so we're going to do this and we're going to put all of our resources into it. And then when it fails, we're going to do this. And when that fails, we're going to do this. And it comes down to like, we're going to risk lives, our own lives to go and try and save our friend, kind of a hope against all hope type mission. And it was just like this beautiful kind of expression of uh, what the communion of saints is all, all about. And so I did the little, I did give the reflection at the communion service here on Monday mornings. And so I talked about it a little bit and then tied it in. Today's the feast of the chair of Peter. And uh, I just remember, have you guys, you guys have never been to Rome, have you? No, I haven't. I haven't. No. Um, so I think you guys have heard of it, but a huge part of my can conversion was when I got to do the Scabby tour at St. Peter's in Rome, where you go underneath St. Peter's Basilica and you go through these first century catacombs and like get the tour, blah, blah, blah. And then right under the, the high altar of the church are the bones of St. Peter, you know, to where, you know, in a literal sense, Peter is the rock that uh, Jesus founded his church on and is still founded today. And so George Weigel, in his book, Letters to a Young Catholic, has a really, really good chapter. Uh, I think it's called like the Scabby Tour and the Grittiness of Catholicism. And he talks about in it that Catholicism is, it really was these roughnecks, like these fishermen and you know, over and over again in church history, we see these people that are, you know, 100% fallen humanity called to be saints, called to lead the church. And so it's not a like an abstract spiritualism or whatever. It's a lived, tangible, gritty um, faith. And so it's just interesting when you were talking it's like, yeah, I mean, we get thrown into those situations, maybe not quite as dire as that one where you have to speak Spanish for two hours in front of people and also teach a class. But in some ways, that is kind of uh, emblematic of what not only our lives, but kind of what the Christian life is all about. It's like you're on all the time, and it is messy um, and everything. And it's just like, okay, you just – but it's about people at the end of the day it was about people when jesus made peter a fisher of men and it's about people today and it's like yeah this seems crazy but we'll we'll go to mars to save this one person um and when you know it goes to hell in a handbasket we're gonna just figure out the next step to take um so it's kind of a loose topic but that's what i had well, yeah. before before I hear Mike's thoughts on this, I do have to confess in full disclosure that I hated that movie. Why so? <laughs> um, I I just was I was bored by it. Uh, and by the middle, I was like, okay, I I realize now that I don't care what happens, and I would like this movie <laughs> to be over now. And I my, I think my tweet about it was. Tell me your tweet about it. Please. Yeah. Sorry I missed your tweet about it. <laughs> you are sorry. Um, what gravity would have been like if the writers of Bang Big Bang Theory had been there to absolutely ruin it. 
<laughs> it was just like corny joke after corny joke, superficial, shallow, nerdy science joking and cavalier attitude over any sort of like real sense of what it would be like to be alone, like a light year away from Earth. I mean, hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was so unrealistic and stupid. Are you that? Because that sounds like a a legitimate character critique of Matt Damon's character of not uh, like not giving him re- any real human emotion in regards to being well. Because he did cry. He cried a couple of times of being so alone. Yeah, but, I guess. And you know, you don't want just a sad sack movie. It was kind of a popcorn. You know, America, let's do it kind of thing but the whole like i'm gonna science the shies out of this you know and i'm a botanist look at me and like the whole narrative uh device of like he's doing a video log for supposedly for posterity and that's how he's updating us on what how the plot is advancing today i'm taking the rover out for a couple more miles to see how far i can get on without you know heat on and it's so cold omg just like yeah i guess we can't just watch you do these things and understand what you're doing. You have to speak them somehow to us, but there's no other character. So we're just going to listen to you talk to your computer. I I just found it really boring, mm. but don't well, want to derail all, the whole convo. Yeah. No, no. All that being said, we'll, uh, we'll just ignore that Rob. <laughs> yeah. Let's, right? just, let's just ignore that. That was the, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Come on, wasn't that last scene moving though? When they like the fact that all of these different people are united around like saving yeah. this one person. I honestly don't even remember. I was like, okay, is it almost over? <laughs> Josh, dang. I did one thing I didn't Josh like about dang. it. I didn't like the 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 entire end rescue scene, the Iron Man deal. That that seemed like super super out of control. Yeah, that's um, that's fair. But I did I did like the communion of saints deal of like the entire world. It kind of reminded me of the Truman Show in that regard, which is a totally great movie. That's a great movie. Yeah, but the uh, but the thought that I just had was, yeah, one about the Truman Show and Jim Carrey being ridiculous. Two about um, the newly ordained priest that I'm here with is actually a part of a lay movement called Communion Liberation, CL. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, he's obviously huge on community. And so that's one of the big things that he um, likes to emphasize and stress in a lot of his homilies is like, hey, we need to form a community here and um, really trying to bring brothers and sisters together. But even here in the rectory, like he, he's always trying to pray together and, and, form a type of community but one of the big things that he talks about which um which i think i agree with um our confirmation classes are saturday mornings from 9 to 12 30 and it's brutal dude <laughs> this is a weekend a saturday morning and we have like so- freshmen and sophomores coming in to be lectured at essentially and we have this video series that um, it's, I mean, considering it's a video series, it's not bad. But it's just Matthew Kelly, and they, like, run through it. And I've sat in on a couple of them, and I'm going on retreat with them this weekend. And Matthew Kelly does a great job explaining the faith. And it's like, Matthew Kelly doing Matthew Kelly stuff, and it's fine. But what this priest, his big point is, is like, I don't care how good of a video you make, there is something that 
is absolutely irreplaceable about having a human being up there proclaiming the gospel to you in the flesh. And he's huge on emphasizing that. And I, he really doesn't like these videos because it, in a lot of ways, de-incarnationalizes Christianity. Like the messenger, you need a messenger. And these kids, even if he sounds like a babbling idiot sometimes, or like we get up and we sound so ridiculous, it's human. That's totally human. And honestly, from The Martian, one, one of my, well, not one of my favorite, but a part that I liked about it was when he's up there and NASA starts to have contact with him and they're trying to tell him all of these things that he, he needs to do, but him on the ground, he already, like, he can do it better than any, you know, number, hundreds of people on computers and scientists who are very removed from the situation can do because he's a human being, like, on the ground. They're actually living in the reality of the thing. And so he, I mean, he's like very frustrated about that, but that just kind of reminded me of, yeah, like the human being in and of itself is something that's absolutely irreplaceable. Um, so I don't, I don't really know where that was going, but that was just a, a thought that I have, which I, I really do agree with the video thing. Um, yeah, I'm using those videos too in my confirmation class. And what do you think? Yeah, they're good, but, um, I think at the beginning I was, relying on them more uh, because I kind of felt like I, a, I wanted to test out this program, see, see how it went. And there's a book that goes along with it and lesson plans and you, but it is designed. It's like pretty dummy proof. It's designed so that if the teacher doesn't want to teach, they can just pop the videos on assign reading and there's questions to answer in the book. And uh, so you're right. It's very effective. Um, at covering all the bases of like what's what's important about the faith and it kind of speaks in language that I think youth can understand or might resonate with them but like maybe four or five classes in um, I won't say that I stopped using it I try to go back and because it breaks up a class if you're sitting with for an hour with 12 year olds it's tough to just talk at them for an hour and have them be engaged so having them turn around look at a screen watch a six minute video turn back around what you like about it what resonated kind of thing helps but I've gotten more and more just into like group discussions and these these true or false quizzes I tell you they have sparked more good questions and more good conversation than any other thing that I've tried because a it uh, it gives them the impression that there is a right answer and they want to know what it is because they tried to answer it and they of their own resources didn't know what it was you know is jesus god or or a man or both or um you know is the bible a sacrament or you know stuff like that where you're like no and this is why and then all of a sudden now because they didn't know the answer to the question they're listening to the why and they're asking questions about it um but you're right it has to be the fact that I'm up there teaching them these things. And then they also see me at mass when they're altar servers. They also see me after school um, when I'm saying goodbye to them and their parents. And they see me, see me around town, you know, if I'm out running or whatever. Like that makes it a more incarnate reality that there is this person here who teaches us the faith, but who's also a human being who we know and like. Um, 
it adds a, I mean, yeah, I think that it is something essential to Christianity. There's a reason that God didn't just call Peter from a cloud, but went down to the shore, got into his boat and then said, Hey, come on. And that was a concrete decision he had to make. Like the faith that he got was a gift. It was a grace, but he had to make a decision to trust a person right in front of him. And that's all of us. The C.S. Lewis said, why do I believe that the Bible is the word of God? Because my mother told me it was. And my mother doesn't lie to me. And his mother was told by someone else she trusted. And that that's just how knowledge, imagination, virtue is all built, is from other human beings who give it to you. Um, Which really, to the movie Martian, like the, and especially oh the gosh, Communion can we of Saints. Be done with that? I still can't no believe way, why dude. you don't like that movie. Come I, on. And especially the way that your brain works, I really did think that you would like it. Have you... Well, you're not going to read the book, but that was part of my interest of it was I had read the book beforehand. Was the book and good? So, uh, I like the movie more than the book. Mm. Yeah, but the book is all about <laughs> science-y, problem-solving stuff. Right. Um, but even in the movie, like, they send... There's six human beings that they send out. It's not just, like, some spaceship controlled by a little little gadget things and they have no. to make a moral decision they're disobeying orders and they're actually the ones that get it done like they couldn't just send a robot up there to get them i get what you're saying well, it's just why just mad damon why <laughs> mad damon quit getting stuck on planets <laughs> <laughs> oh i saw i saw something on the internet that was like the u.s government has invested just untold dollars saving matt damon because he was in saving private ryan <laughs> he was private ryan <laughs> I will honestly never understand what makes you like a movie or not like a movie or book, etc. So anyway. Relax. It does make me think of, uh, I've been reading, I can't remember if this is in, I started Cost of Discipleship. Have you ever read Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Uh, no, I know who he is. He's a Lutheran, right? Yeah. yeah. He talk about, wow, talk about courage too. He... Um, went back into Germany knowing full well he was a famous uh, Nazi enemy and pretty much like loved Germany so much that he wanted Germany to lose the war and he was mm. vocal about that, that that was really the only way to save Germany was to have this cancer of National Socialism excised by defeat, kind of like Old Testament Israel, just like losing to be chastened. And went back, even though he had all sorts of friends and connections in London and the U.S., uh, against all their protests, he decided to go back, saying that he could not stand by. If he was going to be part of rebuilding Germany um, after this scourge, then he could not exempt himself from the current tribulation. Like, mm -hmm. he would have no moral authority uh, before God or any of the people if he had um, not followed Jesus into the suffering like with the body of christ in germany so he was arrested as soon as he got back pretty much it was in the height of the the persecution in the 40s put into a concentration camp where he acted heroically and ministered to everyone else's needs and the guards even you know he would minister to them and they gave him special treatment and stuff which he then passed on to fellow prisoners and then um you know, when Hitler and Himmler kind of saw the writing on the wall and they wanted to execute some of their high-profile prisoners, like two weeks before Germany surrendered, they executed him. Mm. 
But uh, the thing, I, I mentioned this in my homily this weekend about prayer with the transfiguration and how um, the biographer of the intro to this book, because I, I didn't really know much about his story. I just saw it on my Amazon recommended list after I got done with the four loves. And uh, he said that he was a giant before men, but a child before God. Mm. That it was his littleness before God that allowed him to do all these heroic things uh, and realizing um, kind of how insignificant he was or how little God needed him was sort of the prerequisite to stepping out into the kind of freedom and obedience that allowed him to to do things that normal people who on the whole think they're a pretty big deal can't do, you know. It's him who thought he was no big deal, uh, who was able to like lose his life for the sake of saving it. Mm-hmm. And you see the concrete instantiation of what that looks like. Um, but the other thing, actually, what stimulated me to say that was the thinking kind of relating to what you're saying about saving one person that Lewis said in The Four Loves, which is that Human beings, we're all the like modern language of the infinite value of human life, um, that human beings are each individual uh, is infinitely valuable because they're created in the image and likeness of God. And Lewis is like, no, that's not the biblical or the Christian doctrine. Human beings are not lovable. In fact, we've, um, we're the very opposite. We've turned away from love and we've become kind of this graffiti-laden masterpiece that's been kind of defaced by sin and our own decision to be selfish rather than reflect the image of the creator, which is all loving and all generous. The reason that we're lovable at all is because we are loved. That God reached out even in our unlovableness and loved us. And that, um, I think Bonhoeffer gets and St. Therese and and all these people who realize... uh, First of all, their the worth their worth before God, and then the worth of every single sinner and saint, no matter who they are, or what they've done, uh, they reflect God's generosity in going out to them and saving them, because God wants to do that. You know what I mean? Not that oh that person is, and that's where we get into the metrics of like who's worth saving? Is this innocent person worth saving or? What about this really wicked person? Mm-hmm. Um, because we we don't think the way God thinks. He he loves people into lovableness. You know, he values people such that they have value. They don't have value before God decides they have value. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, you should definitely not to keep harping. Apparently, I'm not the the TV show slash movie guy on the podcast, but uh, but. <laughs> You should honestly watch uh, at some point that True Detective show mm-hmm. because that McConaughey character I was ta- I was talking to you about I think that, I guess it was just the last podcast but he talks about so he's you know like a nihilist or uh, pessimist or whatever you want to call it <laughs> nihilist. yeah <laughs> don't be afraid he's don't, a nihilist <laughs> are these Nazis. No, they're nihilists. <laughs> These men are cowards. <laughs> cowards. Gosh dang it. Uh, 
But anyway, he he gets to at one at one point, and he's talking about he calls it the ontological fallacy, in that like we're tricked into like this evolutionary consciousness that we've fallen into to believe that at some level we're persons. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting um, argument that he makes, but but in a sense you just answered it with exactly that with what Lewis says is like as Christians it's actually. Um, it, it's not a move I think a lot of people would anticipate, but we can actually say, no, like we aren't lovable um, unless we are, in fact, loved first. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was a good, yeah, I thought it was a good good move. And I think it's important to know for our own spiritual lives, but I don't know, Baron, you know, talks so much about like this new atheism and stuff like that that we that we see. And, you know, it's one way to articulate it is that fact is that we are loved first and so i think that answers a lot of questions maybe implicit in people's struggle in in belief so i don't know if that's where you were going that's just what i was thinking about anyway well and it gets to because we easily blur the line of um like equality and value that that because everybody is you know, created with equal dignity because God loves us all infinitely, then we're all the same before right. God. Mm -hmm. And another one of Lewis's points, I think this is in a different essay I read uh, on membership. He's like, it's it's not really true that we're all equal. It's a it's a legal fiction that we have to we have to be careful with this. Of course, it's a very useful legal fiction, and even in a, uh, a critical one, we have to make it. But the fact that everybody's equal, of equal intellect, of equal utility to society, is obviously false. Yeah. But his point is that we have to treat everyone as it were that they are, so that because human beings are wicked and they will they will not um, care for someone as much if they're not as uh, useful for society. They will not admire someone as much uh, or give them as much attention if they're not beautiful or intelligent or or whatever yeah he talks about that that's abolition of man isn't it oh that must be what it was but uh, it, yeah. but the point that I, I thought was really struck me was um about the fact that like in the world defaced by sin we have to sort of act as if these things are true that everybody's equal that everybody's valuable regardless of what they do or what they can do um, but in fact, the true veil beneath like the kingdom of what, what heaven is going to look like is hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Not that God loves one person more than he loves another, but he loves them differently and uniquely to the person. So because we, with the equality thing, it just gets whitewashed, you know, everybody, we're all special. So nobody's special, you know, but sure. the truth of the matter is like he said, I love that in my church, there is a moment where I am kneeling and the priest is standing. Because there's differentiation and there's hierarchy. And that is what the human heart longs for and knows is actually true. That each person has a unique and indispensable place. And it may not be as high as, a, as someone else's. It may not be uh, as visible as someone else's, but it's just as important. And if they are not doing it, the whole edifice crumbles. Yeah. And that's that's the whole thing about the metaphor, the symbol of the body of Christ. It's not a we're not members of a club, meaning like instances of a type. 
we're all Republicans or we're all Democrats or we're all we're members because we're all the same or we have the same opinions. We're members as in uh, hands and feet and livers and hearts that if they were all the same organ, you would not have a body. You just have a bunch of severed limbs with no life. But the fact that we are united to someone like the fact that we're all different from one another, but primarily because we're united to someone unimaginably different, mm-hmm. meaning the divine Godhead, we are united to him as members of his body where he's the head. It's the difference that saves us, you know, mm. the creator creature distinction and our distinction from one another. Yeah. And so that I think like if you can see that, then you see my whole point that I made about the Sabbath, like, you know, people miss Sunday mass because they've got their kids got practice. We understand that if some, the point guard doesn't show up to the practice, it's not going to be as good a practice because every team member has to be there. The team is relying on them. Well, if we don't see the church as a team like that, where every single person has an indispensable role from the archbishop down to the uh, lay person in the back pew, that every single person has to be here for this whole thing to work the way it's supposed to. Sure. Um, and that's the 99 and the one sheep. And all, all of the mo- movement of God through history and through salvation is to get everybody. You know, the letter to Timothy, God wills that all people be saved. Um, but as no, soon as is. we're content to be like, yeah, well, no, we got everybody we need and we got a pretty good culture here. Let's, let's just keep going. It's like not good enough. Yeah. Well, it's equally important and also equally fulfilling. Like Therese uses that very simple explanation that in heaven, it, you can think of it like a glass of water and some glasses are bigger and some glasses are smaller, but they're both full to the brim. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the capacity that you have is full. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was even, I told, I did the youth group uh, here at St. Charles last night and I was telling them, and it just kind of like popped up before to tell them about it, but a story that really struck me, um, like that principle that you're talking about, we see that played out in church history a lot too. And I told them about St. Ambrose and his relationship with Augustine. And Augustine like we have one of the most influential figures in church history, but also one of the most influential figures in the entirety of Western civilization. And he talks about like in his conversion, one of the things that spurred his conversion was the kindness of Ambrose. And I mean, Ambrose was, I don't know that much about him, but I mean, certainly, um, you know, he's a, a major player as far as the saints go as well, but he's not the figure that Augustine is. And so you think about, I think the story was like Ambrose was the bishop of Milan, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he had an open door policy for anyone in his diocese to come and talk to him. And this young Augustine did. And the whole story, like Ambrose was was praying silently, like with the with the scriptures really struck Augustine. And then Augustine was struck by the kindness of Ambrose to receive him and answer his questions and things like that. And I was like, man, that's a that's a very simple exchange that had profound ripples throughout the entire history of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, we don't know what a simple conversation that we have, you know, at the, at the grocery store, how that is going to play out in human history. 
Um, but I guess the grace of Catholicism and living that out is that it is going to make a difference. Like what we do and don't do really does matter. Um, and so it's just this, it's the total, um, just antithesis of what the, what our society tells, especially I think people our age, you know, teenagers today is that nothing you do really matters and we can see how unfulfilling that plays out to be. Hmm. Whereas this understanding, uh, a worldview, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's the it, it turns it on its head and it says, no, everything matters. Everything. You know, a simple prayer that you say in your room in the morning or, you know, not to sound cliche, but literally smiling and being pleasant to someone in line at Starbucks or something like that has implications that will play out for the rest of human history, even if we don't have the eyes to see it yet. Um, but I think hearing stories about that, like Ambrose Augustine exchange, I mean, they were people they were just like they looked just like us. You know, that was a human encounter. Mm. Um and we still benefit from it today. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out if um, if this is an attempt to save this episode of the podcast. <laughs> and I I was a little bit skeptical at the beginning of it, but it really turned into something good there. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.